Live from the slightly twisted deck bar, it's the Poojie Podcast with Justin Lameen. The Poojie Podcast is proudly sponsored by Cimarron Golf Club, located in Jacksonville, Florida, off County Road 210, just west of St. John's Parkway. What is going on, everybody? It is Monday, August 10th, and we are into the dog days of summer. It is hot out here, approaching 100 degrees, but that doesn't keep us from recording at beautiful 121 Financial Ballpark here in Jacksonville. Uh, I'm excited for this this episode. We're coming off a big weekend in sports, so Poojie Parlay, uh, presented by Shores Pub Mandarin, coming up is going to be an exciting one. After this great interview, um, any UCF fan out there, any Jacksonville native is going to enjoy this next interview I have coming up. Just a really quality guy, a lot of good things to talk about as far as college athletics go, and that's what I want to talk about today. So let's talk about it. College football seems to be in flux right now with the Big Ten kind of announcing their plans to not have a football season. And as things stand, it looks like it's going to be the Big Ten and the Pac-12 versus the SEC, ACC, and Big 12. Uh, Those five conferences can't seem to get on the same page. And the Big Ten, along with the MAC, uh, are the first two conferences to really pull the plug. Just saw word that the Pac-12 is going to be meeting next week. And I'm assuming these are just the first two dominoes to fall out of the 10 dominoes everyone expects to fall. But let's be real. Would anyone care if SEC football just played SEC football and ACC football just played ACC football and those conferences just worried about themselves and their athletes and played against themselves? I don't, I don't think that's a problem. I think that would be a lot of fun to watch anyway. And um, one of my buddies, Floppy Tom, was talking that SEC championship game is very well a national championship game anyway. So what difference does it make if the rest of the conferences play each other? I don't really think it makes a difference. I think people just want to play football. And if that means conferences can play each other exclusively, um, so be it. You got to deal with it. Uh, For the smaller conferences, it is a big hit. Uh, There's a lot of liability involved in playing football this season. But I do think uh, if they can find a way to safely do it, of course, um, you know, college football is – not just a big uh, industry within America, but big within the schools as college football funds all the other athletics programs within a lot of these colleges. I think there's only about four or five schools that aren't funded by their football program with UConn women's basketball being one of those just to note. Uh, So it's a big deal. Is this going to be the first domino to fall where uh, college athletics kind of goes under for a season or two? Who knows what's going to happen, but I hope we find answers soon because College is starting back up. Everyone's getting back into school. And I know a lot of these athletes have been training hard this offseason, including the one that's in this interview coming up, uh, presented by Strings Sports Brewery. But before we get to that interview, anyone that watched episode 35, the Big Brother 22 All-Stars preview show, Sunday, yesterday, we had our second episode, and I do just want to bring Jacob Yurtical, one of our panel members in here, just to give a quick update on that Sunday episode, uh, just kind of talk about what happened. So Jacob, if you want to lean in here, what do you got about yesterday's episode? So good episode, nothing great, just kind of getting our bearings. Um, Cody's getting everybody coming into the house, checking on him, seeing what he's up to, getting the feel, maybe seeing if, are they a potential nominee? We don't know. Um, Two people kind of got a little... Um, shook by like Kaser and Janelle. They didn't really get good vibes. Memphis, he got great vibes. It seemed Cody really opened up to him. So that could be a potential duo that both of them were duos in their seasons. We'll have to check on that. Um, we saw the safety suite, what that was. And basically for the next three weeks, it'll be a competition that if you decide to play that week, you could potentially earn safety as well as a plus one. But once you play, you play and it's gone. Um, so the two people that probably felt the most worried about him, um, Cody, 
were Janelle and Kaser. And of course, they were the last two that at the buzzer, they went for that competition as being the only two, whoever won, they were going to save each other. So Janelle and Kaser both um, are safe this week. And it put Cody in a real tough spot because those were going to be his nominees. He had to figure out who he's going to put up. So he ended up going with um, Kevin and Keisha, I believe. So not his main targets. And we're just going to have to see how that goes. Yeah, some some stereotypical week one nominees there. And, and some of the fan favorites are finding ways to stay in the game, uh, like Jacob mentioned, with Kaser and Janelle. So we'll see what happens there. But I do have another friend of mine here, uh, Big Jim, call him Jimmy. Uh, if he wants to come in real quick, James, you had some hot takes this morning when we got into the office about this episode yesterday. What are you thinking as it pertains to this all-star season? The, the biggest thing I wanted to point, and, and it, you know, it raised some suspicions. I'm not going to say that the game is rigged. Lifelong fan. I would never, would never question the, the Big Brother producers. But it's just a little suspicious to me that Janelle and Kaser were the only two people talked about going on the block that Cody mentioned, and those are the only two people that entered the safety suite yesterday. So a little bit suspicious on that. Not going to call it rigged, but, but didn't love that. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see if those type, types of tendencies happen throughout the rest of the season with maybe some production TV to kind of force the hand of some certain people. But apparently production's been pretty hands-off with COVID and everything. Anything else from you, James? Uh, yeah, I think I have two other things. One, I was, I was very proud of Davon to able, be, be able to see through Nicole's bullcrap about, uh, hey, I, don't worry, I got your back because you gave me the last vote to put me over Paul. So, so proud of Davon. Hope she makes it. Hopefully she can, she can kind of keep her mouth shut a little bit. I kind of burned her last season. Also, happy to kind of happy to see uh, Kevin on the block, uh, and maybe we'll see his alter ego, Miss Anita Vito. Miss Anita Vito might be coming out for Kevin here uh, this week. Uh, next episode will be Wednesday and then the live eviction on Thursday. So excited to get that. James, thanks for joining us. Um, so stick around. Stay tuned for this episode, episode 36, uh, UCF favorite, fan favorite. Uh, enjoy that with the, all the questions surrounding college football. And then stick around for Poogee Parlay presented by Shores Pub Mandarin. But here it is, episode 36, interview 36, uh, presented by Strings Sports Brewery. Thanks. Yes, indeed. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Obviously, Cimarron Golf Club, always doing a great job over there off of County Road 210, as well as Strings Sports Brewery, bringing you all of these interviews that you see here on the Puji podcast. I do want to welcome on my next guest to the program, uh, a Jacksonville native, so kind of fun for me to uh, interview him. I went to Ed White here in town and a four-year player at the University of Central Florida, so Night Nation is really going to like this interview. A fan favorite uh, throughout his four years with the program and a lot of fun stories to talk about. Just a really great guy. So, Jordan Johnson, thanks for being here, man. Yo, what's up, my man? Thanks for having me. Yeah. For sure, for sure. How are things going right now? I mean, are, are you staying safe during these times and everything? Yes, sir. Just staying with my family, staying close, making sure everybody's safe. You know, social, social distancing, trying to remain safe away from this COVID-19. Awesome, man. I mean, that's definitely what it's all about, making sure our loved ones and those that are close to us are staying safe during these times. So happy to hear that from you. But I do want to get into your football career a little bit. I mean, obviously, ton of accolades coming out of high school here in Jacksonville. Like I mentioned, Ed White, uh, you were a 6A first team uh, member. Uh, you also 75th overall player in the state and 23rd ranked guard in the nation. So lots of accolades, lots of offers. Um, what was it, 
I guess that bought you into UCF committing to a program that had just gone 0-12. What was it about them that maybe bought you in uh, uh, to that program to feel comfortable committing? Quite honestly, it was the, um, the recruiter who, who came in with me, uh, who convinced me to come. Um, I was actually a recruit of Georgia Tech for, the, for a long time, a long while. I was committed to Georgia Tech. I had my whole mindset on Georgia Tech, but Coach Sean Beckton, he was my recruiter for UCF, and he never lost faith in me. Like, a lot of teams, when I decided to commit to Georgia Tech, they pulled out. They were like, okay, we're not going to recruit you anymore. Um, the scholarship is no longer, like, on the table. You, you're you going somewhere else now. But Coach Beck never pulled out on me. He, he hit me up every week. Even every week during the losing season, he was texting me like, yo, man, we need you here to come turn things around for us. And Indeed, we did as soon as I, as soon as I got there, along with my, the rest of my guys in my recruiting class. And I'm glad you mentioned that turnaround. Obviously, something I want to get into, but obviously, Sean Becton as well, you mentioned him, was a staple of UCF for quite some time before leaving a few years ago uh, to go to Nebraska with Scott Frost. But hitting on that turnaround, you know, when we look back at that 2016 recruiting class, us as UCF fans, college football, depending on where UCF goes from here, is going to be able to look back and say, that was the recruiting class that really paved the way and uh, kind of turned the switch from off to on as far as success goes. So I guess for you, what is it like knowing that you were a part of that culture change and a part of that, I guess, recruiting class that brought the program up from, uh, you know, the depths up to success? It's amazing to know that you were a part of something so special. I'm looking forward to telling my kids about it one day. I want to be that has-been guy on my porch one day who's like, Man, back in my day, I, I used to be doing this, and I used to be doing that. I'm looking forward to those days. And, I mean, you mentioned the has-been days. Uh, your first year coming out of high school playing guard, you found a lot of playing time on the field, uh, found some success playing guard your freshman year, and then you finished up your career your last three seasons as a uh, center. And uh, you've become a great center. You became a great center through your last three years, an All-American center, first-team All-Conference center, uh, what was the mindset with that transition, Jordan, and, and what kind of went into that? Uh, you know, was it playing time? Was it something that the coaches just challenged you with? Um, Jordan, tell me a little bit about that. Quite honestly, in high school, I never played center. I played everything but center. And actually, I was against playing center for the longest. I was like, man, I'm not a center. I'm just not good at it, blah, blah, blah. And then I come into college, and comparatively, in, in high school, I was a big guy. I was Six two, six three, like big in comparison to high schoolers. But then I get to college and I'm looking at these six five, six six guys. So I'm no longer the tallest man on the roster. I'm no longer the biggest man because there's guys that weigh more than me as well. So hey, I moved closer and closer to the center position. They recruited me as a center actually, and I told them that I had never played center before. And they was like, "Well, it's not nothing to teach you." I came in as a center, did my whole first fall camp as a center. I was the third string center going into fall camp my freshman year. And then at the end of the at the, at the end of the fall camp, I became the second string right guard. And um ever since then, I didn't start my first game against Michigan, but then I ended up starting every game after that at right guard. And then our senior center who I was playing next to, he graduated. So that spot was vacant. So they moved me over to center and brung up the guy who was behind me. 
and I just rock down that center for the rest of my career. Again, Jordan Johnson, former center for UCF here with us, and you just mentioned the, uh, I guess, family-type camaraderie on the offensive line. You played alongside of a lot of guys for quite some time. Uh, obviously, Jake Brown at tackle. You had Aaron Evans towards the beginning of your career, Wyatt Miller, of course. So a lot of guys, a lot of uh, chemistry built on that offensive line. And you mentioned that Michigan game. I mean, I remember watching that Michigan game, and it wasn't the result that UCF fans wanted. But you can kind of pick out that Adrian Killen's run. A lot of people remember that run bursting onto the scene for his speed. And we've since seen him uh, use that speed over his last three seasons uh, with the team. Uh, a very electric athlete, a very electric player. But in that Michigan game, playing in the big house, what are maybe some of the more difficult defenses that you've had to go up against? Maybe specific defensive lines, specific players, anything like that? Um, first and foremost, I want to give a shout out to Chavis Dickey as well. He was a part of that offensive line that was just such a tight knit group and actually led us to being six in the nation and sacks allowed. So um, he definitely does a shout out along with everybody else you mentioned, but definitely Chavis Dickey and Cole Schneider and Paul, Paul um, Parker Boudreaux and all all those guys. But um, uh, it was it was amazing to play against such high talent that we played against, especially Michigan. Um, especially LSU, especially Auburn. And then we had a lot of in-conference tough opponents as well. Like, I played against the D-linemen from USF every year, basically every year I was there, who ended up getting drafted in the second round by the Falcons. And then playing against guys that you see in the NFL, like Derrick Brown and, and all of these other guys, like, we played against them, and for the most part, we, we handled them. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to be able to, compete against the high talent and be able to, in turn, defeat them. And you mentioned Derek Brown there, obviously, in that Peach Bowl game against Auburn. A funny tie-in, I guess, a few months ago in the draft, Derek Brown was a player that the Jaguars were definitely pinpointing would have fit well here in Jacksonville. But would you say the Jaguars are your NFL team, being from Jacksonville and all? Definitely. Being from Jacksonville, I mean, being from Jacksonville, man, I, I got to support the hometown team. Of course, of course, man. I completely get that. But uh, you mentioned playing against LSU and Auburn, obviously. What's it like playing for UCF with maybe that little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Uh, how do you handle kind of blocking out the haters, blocking out that outside noise, and, and being able to step on the field and just go out there and compete at the highest level? You, you don't block it out. I love it. I love it. I let it be the fuel to my fire. Every day, just going in, proving people wrong, that's what drives every, every, each and every one of us in the building. So you need UCF Twitter Mafia to uh, start start some battles and, and keep the battles rolling on Twitter then with other fan bases, right? 100%. Give us stuff to back up. <laughs> oh, for sure. We definitely get after it on uh, on Twitter. For, and uh, it's got to be attributed to the young alumni, right? You know, 90-plus percentage of our people are on Twitter. And uh, we definitely get our Twitter fingers uh, twitching sometimes. So, uh, But I do want to kind of ask you about your experience at UCF, maybe some memorable moments. I know college game day is on behind me right now. Uh, can you take me through that really cool moment that you got to experience at college game day with some of your teammates? I think it was Mac Loudermilk and uh, Tito Davis. Um, you know, being on that bus coming into campus, take me through that a little bit. Uh-huh, definitely. And um, I'll also like to give a shout-out to the UCF Twitter Mafia because you guys give us stuff to back up, my man. Like, y'all are there for us, and uh, we appreciate it. And always remember that it's not bragging when it's true. <laughs> but um, it was an amazing thing to be on the um, college game day bus 
It was a childhood dream of mine growing up. You know, just being a part of that was amazing. The UCF fans went like went out. I'm pretty sure that was by far the best college game day that season because of the UCF fan base. UCF Twitter Mafia showed out in person and as well. So it was it was a great experience. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Again, Jordan Johnson here, former UCF center uh, from Jacksonville, joining us on the Poogee podcast. But I know it was a long day for you guys, that college game day. I mean, for myself and my friends, we were there midnight the night before to get the spot right front and center. And uh, it was really cool when UCF released the, uh, you know, uh, college game day on Memory Mall footage on YouTube. It was really neat being able to go and point myself out and say, hey, there I am next to the UCF. Uh, police car so that was really neat but uh I know I've been to a few away games I've gotten the chance to see you at some away games typically sitting next to the offensive line with you know coach Glenn Ellerby hyping you guys up and everything uh what have been some of the the favorite experiences that you've had on the road uh some of the best atmospheres you've been a part of maybe even some of the losses uh taking the wins and losses out of it but just some of your favorite uh away games I know you haven't really experienced many losses but uh, some of the best atmospheres you've been a part of on the road um Definitely just going dated all the way back to my first game, my first start at least ever going in, in the big house. I'll never forget 103 fans in the stands that day. I'm looking for my mom because my mom flew all the way to Michigan to come see me play. And I'm looking for my mom in the stands. She was like, Jordan, did you see me? I was like, sorry, mom, I didn't see you. There was 103,000 people there, literally. So um, sorry, I didn't see you. But um, that was a great experience. Um. Always playing against USF, whether it was home or away, it was always a home game for us. Um, given the fact that we played in a lot of NFL stadiums, was really cool too. Like playing in the Eagle Stadium, playing in the Cardinal Stadium, playing in the Atlanta Falcons Stadium. That was amazing experience. And just, I have a lot to look back on one day. And I'm glad you mentioned that last part there because I wanted to ask you, um, obviously you've graduated, I've graduated, um, you know, some of my friends from the university have, have graduated, obviously we're all trending in that direction. What are some of the things that you're maybe taking away with you from UCF? Uh, maybe not even necessarily football related or athletics related, but just moving forward in life, what are some of those things that you're, you're going to be able to look back on and, and say, I took that away from my college experience. I took that away from UCF. UCF's amazing. I got so much love for UCF. And people ask me all the time, like, like, what was it like down there in Orlando at UCF? I'm like, when people tell you that college is the best years of your life, they are not lying because I indeed had the best years of my life so far, hopefully. But it's been amazing. UCF was like its own little town. Like, I didn't leave campus for much because I had everything I needed on campus. Um, I built relationships with people that I'm going to have for a lifetime. I got love for my brothers who I – shed blood, sweat, and tears with on the football field, all of the relationships I built with professors and my academic advisors, like my main academic advisor, Kirsten Stevens, she's like a, a sister to me at this point because she's really been there for me. Like she's way more than just an a- academic advisor. She's a mentor in my life. That's awesome, man. I mean, it's always great to hear, you know, those types of relationships being built on campus and like you mentioned, with advisors, with tutors, things like that. So that's great that you were able to build that relationship with her. And, you know, like you mentioned, your teammates and coaches, and and those are relationships that you'll be able to take with you through life. And uh, recently you put up a few tweets. Um, One, God works in mysterious ways. And two, the only thing you can control in life is how you respond to life. And 
Uh, those two just caught my eye. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing those. I think it says a lot about you as a person. And if you want to comment on those, you know, it'd be great to kind of hear where those came from, if not, you know, completely okay. But I um, just wanted to say, you know, it says a lot about, about you as a person and kind of where your mindset is moving forward with growth and everything. So let me tell you why I said God works in mysterious ways. Because I've always wanted to play in the NFL. That was a dream of mine. I can vividly remember being on the playground, playing football with my friends at elementary school, wanted to be an NFL player one day. Like that, that thought in my mind still resonates. And I've always had a passion for watching the sports, talking about the sport, you know, analytics or just commentating or like basically arguing and debating about sports. So I've always wanted to go into sports commentary or even sports analytics or broadcasting. So I, after I didn't get drafted, I had to immediately find a job. Like I can't just sit around on my mom's couch waiting for an opportunity. So I applied to a bunch of different places. Boom, I joined this marketing firm that has me going door to door, knocking on people's doors, trying to get them to get this market, get this product or service, right? I knock on this person's door and I try to get them to buy it. They're like, nah, I'm not really with it. I'm busy doing this work. I'm like, well, what work are you doing? They're like, well, I actually own a radio show and um, we're actually looking for someone who can um, come on and talk about sports and talk about different stuff. And I'm like, hold on now, <laughs> wait a minute. Like I've always wanted to do something like that. And I have the background to be able to do something like that. And it was like, yeah, we're just really looking for someone who's just like always in the community and cares about mental health. And I'm like, I do all those things. Like I've spent so much time at the Boys and Girls Club in Orlando and visiting different elementary schools in Orlando. So I'm in the community. Me and Anthony Roberson like started our own initiative called One Kid Orlando that like specifies and, you know, singles out one kid in Orlando that month who was really like showing something that they did and something that we wanted to broadcast. And not only that, but just the mental health thing. Like I'm a part of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And we do a whole mental health week where we all wear green wristbands and we wear the green pins on our clothes. And it's just like, I was like, it seems like I'm the perfect puzzle piece to fit right here out of all the things that you're saying. So I immediately tweeted when I left that lady's house, I was like, God works in mysterious ways because here I am fretting about not, not making it in the NFL, not knowing what I'm going to do next. Signed up for a job. I started working the job. Next couple of weeks, I meet this woman, and she's talking about all the things that I've always wanted to do. So, gosh, is worse in mysterious ways with that. Again, Jordan Johnson, former center for UCF, joining us here. And, and that's awesome, man. That's a great story to hear. I actually remember seeing that you took that position with the marketing firm, but I really hope this pans out for you as well. I know sports is something you're extremely passionate about, so it would be great to uh, see you kind of continue on that path with sports and everything. And I, I remember, obviously, UCF social media team always – always putting stuff out about community service and what we were doing in the community as far as athletics went. And you and Roberson were, were always out there on the forefront, uh, you know, getting your faces and names known. So that's awesome to hear that story from you. But I mean, I, I know, uh, you know, from Jacksonville and everything. So I do need one last thing from you before I let you go. I need to hear your best Duval. Duval. You know, right. gotta ask, I do it all the time anyway. <laughs> Awesome, awesome, man. You and like uh, you and Otis do that down in the locker room or anything like that. Is that something you guys do? Or like all the time. They already know, man. They already know what we talk about, man. <laughs>
Awesome, JJ. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you moving forward with your future and everything. Great talking to you and, and looking forward to keeping in touch, uh, you know, linking up here in Jacksonville sometime. So thanks for doing this. So again, thank you to Strings Sports Brewery for bringing you that episode. They do a great job there. Looking forward to maybe getting there on Thursday for $5 burgers. Who knows? May even go for the double patty because it's so delicious. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Thank you to Jordan Johnson for jumping on this episode. Jacksonville native. Uh, love him. Some Duval, of course. Him and Otis Anderson holding it down for the 904 with UCF. Uh, so Jordan, again, thank you for jumping on. But it is time for Poojie Parlay presented by Shores Pub Mandarin and some exciting developments in the world of sports just simply based on basketball winding down getting into the playoffs uh the the qualifying rounds for hockey have been set the lightning uh, have a revenge tour against the columbus blue jackets uh who who uh shot, shut out the toronto maple leaves last night uh to advance to the second round the round of 16 so uh excited to see that but hopefully the lightning don't get swept like they did last year that was extremely unfortunate um, just a lot of other good matchups, too. I know I know my Canucks, uh, my Western Conference team, are playing the Blues, so I'm excited to see how they do in this playoffs. And then in the world of golf, we had an exciting weekend, uh, interesting weekend. The players that performed on Thursday and Friday did not perform very well on Saturday and Sunday. My biggest surprise was Dustin Johnson, which it's sad that he's a surprise just simply by playing well. Uh, he had had some struggles over the last month or so, but he performed well Saturday put himself in position and tied for second uh, shooting two under yesterday, finished 11 under, but the winner Colin Morikawa, the Cal golden bear graduate out in California uh, was able to compete on the weekend, shot 11 under between Saturday and Sunday came out victorious, two shots clear of Paul Casey and Dustin Johnson, only his second major start. And he got the victory there, held up the Wanamaker trophy and dropped the lid. So that was funny. Matt Wolf, five under. Jason Day, another top five for him. That was exciting to see. And Tony Finau, a top five for him as well, just consistently inside the top 10 in these majors. Uh, and we also had Bryson DeChambeau break a driver on Thursday. Um, Might have been a corked driver. I kind of want to start that rumor. Uh, but then in the world of NASCAR, we do have an exciting race coming up. But first, we had back-to-back -back races in Michigan with Saturday, Sunday, 160-lap races. Extremely exciting. I like those short sprints. Those are always fun. And my boy Kevin Harvick, driving the Bush Light Apple car, pulled out the victory on both days, inching out Kislowski on Saturday and his competitor, Denny Hamlin, on Sunday. So Harvick, Hamlin, and Keselowski seemed to be the top three drivers, and Martin Truex finished third on both days. So uh, it was exciting in NASCAR, and we have the Daytona Road Course coming up on Sunday. I'm excited to see that because later this month we have the Daytona Pepsi uh, Coke Zero, excuse me, 400, if that's what it's still called. It's changed sponsors over the past, like, 10 years. Uh, but we're back at Daytona for the 400 at the end of August. But the road course coming up on Sunday. Uh, so be sure to stick around uh, on our Instagram, the Poogee Podcast, Facebook friend me. Uh, check out all of our content and all of, obviously, here on YouTube, but we are on Spotify as well. Uh, for all the exclusive content on Instagram, you'll see all of the Poogee Parlay picks there. You'll see all the behind-the-scenes content on the Instagram page. But until next time on Thursday, go watch some Big Brother on Wednesday, and we'll have a live eviction preview show for you on Thursday with some tidbits about what we think is going to happen. Have a great week. Be sure to follow our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other podcast streaming services, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel to check out unique video elements for each interview.